As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Get your popcorn ready. It's game time, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a team that is known as Stoppers. Stoppers. The Athletic presents Hogan Johns. Every single play, go take it. Bring that juice. Let's go get it. Come on. Chicago's best Bears coverage. Go Bears. Go Bears. From NBC Sports Chicago, it's Adam Hogue. The Bears angst in general. Everybody's like angry about it, I feel like. Just relax. And from The Athletic, it's Adam Johns. This is just how it is. It's a range of emotions. It's a range of feelings and hot takes. Here they are. Fiery, feisty, and frequently ill. The Adams, Hogan Johns. What's up? Welcome in Hogan Johns with you, a playoff edition. This is only the second time in the history of this podcast we've had a playoff week. I think for the second time, it's only going to last one week. But hey, for six years, we didn't think that a couple years ago. No, la- no two years did. ago, we were all in. We were The excitement was crazy. Everybody was hyped up. We're talking about, uh, what year was that? That was the year the Super Bowl was in Atlanta. We were talking about going to Atlanta. And then Cody Parkey happened. Uh, actually, Trey Burton happened first. Then Cody Parkey happened. Yes, Trey Burton. I still remember remember to this day. I was out with my wife. Remember when you could go out places? That was cool. I was out with my wife the Saturday night before the game and got that alert from the Bears or whatever that Trey Burton was out with a groin injury. Added to the injury report with a groin injury and just straight up out, right? Is that what or was he questionable? No, he was questionable, questionable because he, yeah. he warmed up the day before the game. Yeah. He was never going to play. It, it was don't mean to start the podcast this way, but I get that the their tests like revealed inflammation or strain or something later. I understand that. At least what the, that's what the Bears were saying. But still feels like one of the most bizarre injury stories that I've covered mm-hmm. since taking over this beat in, in, in 20, 2012. Like it's just strange. It still feels strange a couple of years later. Well, and especially kind of the murky way that Trey Burton answered questions about it too. It just it the Bears tried to help him by like straight up saying no, like we ran an MRI and 
this is what happened. And then he still just answered questions that made it seem like there was other things going on. Whatever. That was uh, an unfortunate 24 or 48 hours for the Bears. A game they probably should have won and didn't. This one feels a lot different. Bears and Saints uh, in New Orleans on Sunday afternoon. But welcome in. We're you know we're still the Bears are in the playoffs. We're gonna cover it. We're excited to do so. Uh, Dan Pompey, the great Dan Pompey, joins us on the podcast today. Kevin Fishbane as well. Uh, we'll hear from him. Got plenty to get to. Your voicemails from Sunday's loss to the Packers, which I'm the voicemails on Packers Week are always fun. Oof. So we'll get to those. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue H O G E at Adam Johns J A H N S and um. Twitter's been an interesting place the last couple days. Not too enjoyable, to be honest. <laughs> is it ever? Sometimes it is. During games, <laughs> like when people are having fun, it's it's a good place to be. When uh, there's one bad play call in a game that people just want to keep obsessing about for days and days, it's not so fun. It's just whatever. But anyway, follow us anyway. Um. We'll get to that. We'll get to that yeah. with the fish man. He, he's ready to, to come after you a bit, too. He wants to come after me? Yeah. Oh. Why doesn't he just text me? Well, he's saving it for the podcast. Oh, okay. I'm ready. This will be fun. Uh, okay. Uh, and then read us, NBCSportsChicago.com. My 10 things are up. And John's is uh, five takeaways. Everything is a number, right? That's cool. Yeah. I got a lot of stats in there, too. I'm full of numbers. I've become the numbers guy. Ooh, really? Yeah. If Brandon Marshall still was part of this team, he'd call me the numbers guy now. <laughs> Sorry, Mark Potash. <laughs> he'd probably still call me an asshole. Yeah. But. Oh, I still remember getting yelled at, yelled at him or yelled by him yelling at me in the locker room. That, that was a different time. Different time, different team. And now he's part of the media. How many times does that happen? Always love that. Um, okay. Anyway, theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns is where you go to subscribe. You should be subscribed, and we appreciate those of you who are, and thanks for rating and reviewing the podcast and telling your friends about it. Word of mouth is important. All right, let's do this. I want to jump into the uh, first Bear Saints game just a little bit because I think there's something significant that happened in that game that I want to revisit. Uh, but first, let's close the books on Bears Packers and get to your voicemails from Sunday's loss, very disappointing loss to the Green Bay Packers. Hello? Do you know who this is? Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Hogan John's voicemail. The Hogan John's voicemail line. Believe it or not, George isn't at home. Please leave a message at the beep. Got any questions or comments about the Bears? Give the guys a call before, after, or even during the game. Go Bears! Hey, get us back to practice car outside of Soldier's Field. Here we are with 7th in. 96 sounds porterhouse steak bears packers playoffs on the line we got the chicago bears looking to get into the playoffs 8, 9, 7, one way or another 
This is it. Now, I got it. I'm a little nervous that we're going against Aaron Rodgers after Christmas. He has much more time to prepare than most people do. But we still got one Mitchell Trubisky. So, okay, that kid has an iron backbone. You can feel the Roman Empire on his shoulders. And he's going to lead us to the playoffs. Mr. Trubisky, Chicago Bears, sweat good at Let's go. We went for it on fourth down and it paid off, baby. Let's go. Bear down. The cheese heads. Let's go. Again, it's, it's huge as Howard. I mean, I got both games up, man. I'm pulling for the I'm pulling for the Rams, and I'm I'm yelling Bear down. I mean, we got to do better defensively. I mean, we gotta we gotta stop this Aaron Rodgers cheese here. You know, we can't just allow him to just do what he want to do. Please, from the love of God, fire Chuck Pagano. Aaron Rodgers hasn't even thrown an incomplete pass, and it's almost the second half. God damn, fire the f***ing loser. Huge ass Howard again. Wow. Come on, man, we got to hold on to the ball. What is this, the Fumbarooski? You know, at least we look like we deserve to be on the field of the first half end. Not embarrassing, it's one score, still doable, but jeez, Mitch, you can't make nice throws at the end of the half. All right, huge ass power. You hear me? Huge ass. And the Bears have life. The Bears have life. You hear me? Uh, the, the real deal. Khalil Mack with the sack. Get him off the sticks. You hear me? All right. Bear down. Right up the middle on first down. Nagy's calling the place. Uh, Virginia McCaskey, uh, paging Virginia McCaskey, your team still sucks. They're still not nearly as good as that team from up north. We got blown out again. Can we please get a Ryan Pace call up to the main office? Thank you. I'll hang up. I hate losing to the Packers, man. The worst part about this is the Bears are still going to stumble into the playoffs. They're still 8-8, eight and, eight, and probably nothing's going to change. So that's that's really fun to think about. Thanks. Eight and eight is eight and eight is eight and eight is eight and eight is eight and eight. Yay for the playoffs. Very much looking forward. That eight and eight is eight and eight. And if eight and eight was not good enough last year, it's damn well ain't good enough this year. Big structural changes, please. Woohoo! Bears are in the playoffs. Best play of the game today was when the Rams got that interception. Take care, brother. Huge ass. Yeah. Uh, Again, at least we made the playoffs. Bear down. Matt Nagy, you know, Pat Fitzpatrick doesn't look too bad right now. You know that? Northwestern, stand up. Art of the deal, the Bears losing to the Packers, knowing the Rams would beat the Cardinals. The Bears have now officially lulled the Packers into a false sense of security. The Bears will beat the Saints next week. We'll beat the Packers in the divisional round. We'll beat, I don't really give a rat, in the NFC Championship. And we'll play the Bills in the Super Bowl. Bear down. Mitch played his little cookies off. David played like his knee wasn't going to give out and tear his ACL or MCL. And uh, go Bears. That's all I got to say about that. Hey, Bears man. Ian Ann here. I've been telling you we're going to the playoffs, and we're here. Bear Well, guys, I wish I was a little more excited about making the playoffs, but we didn't earn our right to be there. It's kind of like kissing your sister. But it's another week of meaningful football. 
And that's all that matters. I'm ready for the tickle. Let's go. Bear down. Hey, good old Bob Dabrowski is calling in here. Uh, leaving Soldier's Field. It's a sad day, but it's not as sad as it could be because uh, the Bears are still in the playoffs. And uh, they're in the playoffs. That's, uh, that's really all we need to know. It's a weird year, not only in the NFL, but also in the world at large. Maybe you've heard of this coronavirus. Um, weird things are happening. And, you know, the, it's a weird playoffs already. The Bears, the Jaguars were in the playoffs last week. And now the Bears play the Packers in the playoffs this week. They lose, but they still advance. Who knows? Crazy things happen. Let's go Bears. Super Bowl, Super Bills, Bears, Bill Belief. Almost had a Bills slip in there. Maybe it's the Bills this year. Who knows what I'm trying to say? Super Bears, Super Bowl, Super Bears. Let's go, Bears. Let's get it done. We can still do this. Playoff. Bears. Nah, Super Bills sounds more accurate. Super Bills. I, I don't think our friend Bobo knew how to process. I feel you, Bob. I feel you. Hey, the Bills are a fun team. If, if Bobo wants to jump on the Bills bandwagon after the Bears are out of the playoffs, I, I got no problem with that. Start jumping off t- on the tables and stuff. The development of Josh Allen over three years is what the Bears hoped would have happened here in Chicago with Mitch Trubisky. And there's all sorts of reasons why that didn't happen. But the Bills are fun. Josh Allen's fun to watch. Yeah, he made a, a, a heck of a improvement this year a good run at MVP um, I too am going with Aaron Rodgers for MVP but uh, in terms of most improved player Josh Allen gets that vote for me for sure so um, it's been a, a good run for him all right well let's turn the page because yeah I, I don't necessarily know if it's like kissing your sister like one of the callers said but the Bears did back into the playoffs and they're in and they got a game against the New Orleans Saints, a team that they could have beaten this year. They were in overtime with Nick Foles. Roquan Smith had a great game, but he dropped. I don't know if that was considered like a clear dropped interception, but he had a chance at an interception in overtime uh, that maybe could have been a pick six. Would have been a huge play either way. And I mean, that's the Bears. The point is, the Bears were in a game with the Saints where. A few plays go the other way, and they would have won. They would have beaten this team. I feel like that game happened like last season. I know. <laughs> like I'm serious. Like we've joked about this season being like three seasons in one. So that that that's part of the Nick Foles part of this season. Yeah, Nick, that was the, the Nick, Nick Foles, Foles season. season within this season. Yes. Yeah. Well, you bring that up because there was a sequence. I think I brought this up on the, I'm losing my mind. I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago on the podcast, uh, but now they're playing each other, so I'll bring it up again and I, and I watched this again today. The Bears were having a pretty good first half and a solid second quarter. They had a an explosive drive out of nowhere early in the second quarter considering how their offense was playing. Remember, this was in the middle of their offensive line crisis. I mean, they didn't have James Daniels in this game. They didn't have Cody Whitehair in this game. Rashad Coward was playing left guard. Uh, Bobby Massey got hurt early on in the game, remember? So they had Jason Spriggs out there. It was a mess. But they had a solid second quarter. Nick Foles hit Darnell Mooney deep for a 50-yard gain. And then just two plays later, hit Allen Robinson for 24 yards. So all of a sudden... The Bears are full of explosive plays, and they're winning this game 10-3. They add a field goal, so they're up 13-3, but 
That field goal, really the whole last two minutes, to me, swung the season. Remember, the Saints were 4-2 and two coming to Soldier Field. The Bears were 5-2. and two. I mean, like, this is the reason why this was the big Fox afternoon America's game of the week at that point in the season. And so you get a big run from David Montgomery with two and a half minutes left in the second quarter, picks up 38 yards. Like these are the plays that the Bears just hadn't have all season really, or at least with Nick Foles and especially in the running game. And they are in the red zone. They're at the 14-yard line with a chance to go up 17-3, Johns, going into a half. And instead, they settled for a field goal, and it's 13-3. And then the defense had a very forgettable sequence right after that as you settle for the field goal, and then Drew Brees gets the ball with a minute 34 left on the clock, and they went right down the field and specifically, there was a third uh, third and 13 where Drew Brees dumped it off to Alvin Kamara and the Bears did not play it very well and they allowed him to pick up 12, which allowed the Saints to go for it on fourth and one. I have in my notes, as I'm looking at this, John's on the play-by-play, a huge star in red, huge play in the season. Because that allowed the Saints to go for it. They got it. There was a really bad P.I. call on Kyle Fuller on that drive, you may remember. But then there was a 16-yard touchdown to Jerry Cook where Jalen Johnson just didn't really cover him for some reason. And anyway, long story short, it was 13-10 to going into halftime instead of 17-3. to Really, from that point on, I felt like the Bears' defense went the wrong direction. And after this game, remember the the Saints went to Tampa and they killed the Bucks. So you're saying that pass interference has defined <laughs> this is defined the season. I know what you're saying, though, because I feel like some of that momentum for the Saints carried into the third quarter. I think you mentioned the the, the settling for a field goal. I think we saw that play out again against the, the Packers. I'm just trying to pull it all forward to everything we, we've seen since then and. The defense hasn't been the same since those middle weeks of the season, and I think it started against the the Saints. You know, like the the missed opportunities, the Roquan Smith dropped interception or missed interception, maybe Eddie Jackson almost missed interception in that game. Like, I, I I do feel like some of those moments, the missed opportunities, started to weigh on these guys, and has continued to weigh on these guys all the way into the postseason, where now we have the rematch against the Saints. Look, I mean, like that drive is in many ways comparable to the Packers' first drive on Sunday. You have the third and 13 where Breeze jumps it off to the running back who picks up 12, okay, and that keeps the drive alive. First drive against the Packers, you had that third and eight. It kind of got lost in the all the talk after the game, but that third and eight on the first drive of the game – Rodgers dumps it off to the running back. Multiple missed tackles. DeAndre Houston Carson had a chance. Kyle Fuller had a chance. Roquan Smith had a chance. The drive is extended. Then you get a pass interference call on Duke Shelley. Same thing that 
happened in the Saints game. Kyle Fuller called for P.I., although they were different because Kyle Fuller didn't touch him. It was just a bad call. The one on Duke Shelley the other day was blatant. Anyway, it ended up in a touchdown. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities there in terms of just missed opportunities, right? Whether they're takeaways or just stops, the Bears' defense has uh, just not taken advantage of that, really, from that point on in the season. And I tweeted this just to kind of illustrate where these two defenses have gone since that Week 8 matchup. When that game was over, the Bears ranked 6th in weighted defensive DVOA. The Saints were 10th. Now going into this weekend's game, the Saints are 2nd in the NFL, and the Bears are 13th. So they've just gone in completely different directions. A game changer. Yeah. Not just that game, a season changer. It feels that way. And in your case, it actually was a different season, the way you look at it. (laughs) The Nick Foles part of 2020. If only we could forget it. All right, let's bring in Dan Pompey, who you can read on The Athletic. Always has outstanding pieces uh, from from some interview he's doing. And now he's stuck here with us on the Hogan Johns podcast, but we always appreciate his time. Dan, the Bears made the playoffs, and the excitement is pretty low. It seems like it's been, it's in it's an interesting week. So how do you how do you view this Bears season right now? Eight hundred, you know, uh, eight and eight, five hundred team. They get in thanks to an extra wild card that the NFL put in for them this year. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, Adam. It's uh, they had the, the good fortune of being in this position this year when there was the extra wild card spot. Um, you know, I don't know that, it, that a lot of people feel good about what the Bears did uh, in an eight and eight season. Um, you know, kind of the nature of how things played out with uh, the, the six game losing streak and coming back and kind of raising hopes again and falling flat against a team that you know they're going to have to beat if they ever want to get to their ultimate destination. So, you know, I think um, definitely a mixed bag. Uh, but I'll, I'll say this, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the season showed some good things about the team. I think it, it highlighted their resilience, their ability to adjust and uh, their their refusal to quit. So, you know, those are all very important things with a football team. Uh, of course, there's some other very important things that they kind of failed at. So, like I said, mixed bag. Dan, you've covered the NFL for a, a long time. So, how do you feel about the the extra wild card spot? Like, my opinion on it is, well, look at the NFC East. You know, they got a losing team, and maybe it helps to have another. Well, it's a five hundred team, but <laughs> to to have another team in. Or you look at the AFC this year, like the Colts with eleven wins. You know, they were in the hunt all the way up until to the very end before they got their win to get in. I, I'm just curious how you feel about the extra wild card spot. You know, I think I'm kind of reserving my judgment a little bit. I'd like to see how it works over a couple of years. But my initial inclination is I don't like it. I think it waters down uh, the playoffs a little bit too much. Uh, I like the fact that two teams used to have buys in each conference in the first round. Now you've only got one. Um, And I think, you know, I I really don't want to see uh, eight and eight teams that are limping their way into the playoffs, playing in a wild card Sunday. I want to see teams that really deserve to be there. And uh, I know that in different years, you'll have different scenarios where, you know, sometimes you get a team with 10 wins 
that gets left out of the playoffs in, in the old scenario, even in this scenario. Um, and, and uh, you know, then then you say, well, you wish there was an extra wild card spot. But I think um, my guess is there's going to be more times when you're saying that's not a deserving playoff team that's in the playoffs. Dan, we're three years into Matt Nagy's tenure in, in Chicago, and I, I find it fascinating to look at what he's done so far because not a whole lot of fans seem terribly thrilled, and that's understandable when you lose six games in a row in the middle of a season. But he has yet to have a losing season. He's he's 28-21 when you include the playoff loss. And I think... It, in today's NFL, sometimes we get too caught up in trying to find the next hot shot offensive mind that we lose sight of how much you still need to be able to build a program and a culture and be the head coach of the whole team. That's what I find so interesting about Nagy because three years in, his offense has largely been a failure. But I look at him and the resiliency that you talked about earlier, the way the team battled back from a six-game losing streak to, to make the playoffs, even if they got some help from the system. I, I maintain that it looks like, to me, he's a pretty decent head coach. It's the offensive side that still has got to be figured out. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. You know, I think uh, he's got strong leadership qualities, which is the most important thing in a head coach. And I think uh, the way that he did adjust this year uh, was pretty impressive. I mean, if you look at the end result, you say, well, yeah, he did some good things to get to the point where uh, the Bears could compete for a playoff spot and actually make the playoffs. I guess if you want to take the, the negative side, you would say, why didn't he do these things earlier? You know, why, why didn't he make those adjustments uh, early in the season or even why didn't he go into the season with some of these things on his mind? Why didn't he, you know, see that Sam Mustafer and Alex Barr should have been starting or why didn't maybe his position coaches see that? Um, why wasn't he getting the ball to Cole Komet earlier? Why wasn't he using David Montgomery more, using play action and doing the things that bring out the best in Mitch Trubisky? You know, that's what the critics would say, and, and that's a, those are fair questions too. Uh, but I think, um, you know, the good thing is it looks like he's, he's, he got it, you know, or at least he, he made some changes and he, he learned from mistakes and he figured out, what his team and what his players do best and what they don't do best. And, you know, that's all you could ask for from a coach. So, Dan, what, what would you do? I, I, I think many of us believe now which, with the Bears advancing to the postseason as I called it the basement door instead of the back door today in a column, going through the basement door to get into to the playoffs. Um, like that secures at least maybe one more year for, for Matt Nagy, but again, like all the reasons you laid out, and I know around Chicago, everybody's everybody feels ready for change or wants change. But what would you do? Like, how do you think the, the loss of the Packers to to the Packers factors in? You've covered this team for a long time. You know the McCaskies. Like, what would you do if you were running them right now? Well, you know, I, I think um, it's easy to say fire this guy, fire that guy, uh, but I think the most uh, important trait in the teams that have long-term success in the NFL is stability. You see that. You don't see the great organizations changing coaches every other year. And the Bears have done that. They've changed coaches too much. They've changed everything too much recently. 
And I think that's part of what got them in this, in this mess, you know, um, George McCaskey, Ted Phillips, Ryan Pace, they all had conviction in Matt Nagy when they hired him. And, uh, you know, it paid off in that first year, 12 wins. And uh, obviously they took a step backwards last year and they really weren't able to uh, get back to the point they were uh, in 2018 this year. Uh, but I think they did make some strides in that direction. And, um, you know, his overall record is, is still pretty, it's, I think, what is he, about six games above 500 or something like that? Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, I think you, you need to keep them. You need to keep growing what you have in place and, and uh, you know, certainly uh, see what happens next year. You know, part of it, too, is that, you know, he inherited this quarterback, don't forget. And the quarterback has limitations, and I think it took some while, it took some time before Nagy and the quarterback learned how to work together and uh, really, we're just starting to see the fruits of that now. You know, the, the Saints are, are a unique matchup for this week because of the the conversation of stability. Like, they had that great year in 2006 where they lost to the Bears in, in the NFC Championship game. Then I think they won, what, 8-8, eight and eight, then 7-9, and nine, right? And then they brought back Peyton for that fourth year, and that was their Super Bowl year. I'm not saying that's happening for the Bears, but... It's it's an example of maybe patience and some stability paying off. But, yes, there was a quarterback there that, that I think helps with that. What do you think about, like, you mentioned stability. You mentioned, you know, we talk about resiliency here. And Trubisky's come up a couple times now in this conversation. Like, how would you wrap your mind around his season? Like, is it a good one? There was that benching, and he comes back, and he has those three wins. But, like, what do you think he, he's proved over the last four weeks? Well, you know, on the plus side, I think he's taken his game to a level that he's never been at before. And I think that he has shown signs that if things can, if he continues to be used the way he was used this season, if the players around him continue to be uh, as productive as they were, that includes the offensive line in front of him, he can be a productive quarterback. I think, you know, I also think his best football probably is still ahead of him. You know, on the, on the negative side, I think you say, well, he still makes those throws that make you want to pull your hair out and that could cost you the game and, and do cost you the game. And, you know, that's kind of the quarterback he is and probably always will be. Um, but, you know, uh, Peyton Manning uh, isn't available in his prime right now. So, what you have to evaluate is what are your options and, you know, can you get better than Mitch Trubisky? Is he a viable short-term solution at least while you maybe work on a long-term solution? Um, you know, I think those are the questions the Bears have to ask themselves going into the, this offseason. And I, I don't know that they're going to be able to, to have a, a better long-term solution than Mitch Trubisky in the short, in the, in, in this next off season, if they could find that guy, you know, I, I think um, there, there's a case to be made for putting a franchise tag on him or signing him to a short-term deal and seeing where it goes. Dan, how, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about the, the entire playoff picture right now, a uh, more general NFL question, but it, it, do you feel like there's a team either in the AFC that, that can beat the chiefs, um, and in the Super Bowl, is there is there an NFC team that that can take down the Chiefs if they get there? Well, I think uh, I think the Buffalo Bills are a really strong football team. I think uh, they do everything pretty well, and they're 
at a good place in time where they're uh, kind of coming to a peak. So to me, that is the team to watch out for. You know, I also still have a healthy respect for the Baltimore Ravens, a team that's come on a little bit lately and, you know, are a little bit different from a lot of other teams. I think a lot of people wrote them off this season when they had their struggles, uh, but that might end up being a mistake. Um, you know, in the NFC, certainly the Green Bay Packers, our team, you know, with with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, uh, there is no opponent that they cannot beat. It, it, you know, if, if he's flinging it the way he's flung it in most games this season, uh, you know, you can't write them off against anyone. And um, my, my dark horse in the NFC is uh, the, the team that's got a quarterback who's done this a few times, and that's the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, I think they're a team that's kind of come on a little bit lately too and shown some signs of uh, being able to put things together the way that Jason Light and Bruce Arians envisioned that they could when they started signing all these stars. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's a, t- that's a dangerous team in the playoffs. I really believe that. I'll tell you what, though. I'm, I'm seriously considering Washington as my upset this weekend. Really? I do like the Bucks, but I, I – Washington, if there's one thing about Washington, though, that defense is legitimately good. And Chase Young has the capability of wrecking games. So that's a, sometimes a formula. And the Bucks, as good as they are, they've had these games this year where, for whatever reason, they just have not been able to put it together. Not not so much in the last month, but it, it's happened from time to time. And I'm even thinking about that Monday night game they had against the Giants when they went on the road against another different NFC East team. I think that those games were a while ago, though. I yeah, think I know. Now, you know, Brady has taken his game up to another notch, and I think their defense is playing better, and you and I are going to have to bet a soda pop on that, Adam. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I get two, though, if I win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You kind of have some type of spread in that one. Um, I wanted to ask you, Dan, about Aaron Rodgers, because you've gotten to know him over over the years a, a little bit. Um whether it's interviewing him about Brian Urlach or, or, or whatnot. And, and I'm curious, I, I'm consistently amazed by how well he plays. And here he is at his age. Everybody talks about Brady's age. But Aaron Rodgers, he's not so young anymore either, but he's playing his best football. I think, I mean, he was good last year. He, it's just a phenomenal run he's having this year. He's my MVP pick. Um, I just put that in with uh, the, the athletic. And I'm curious, like, in terms of like evaluating quarterbacks, I know we're going to have a big offseason here, you know, covering the Bears because the quarterback's going to come up. But like the value that Aaron Rodgers maybe provides that team and like evaluating that position, I'm just curious for, for your insight, just what the Packers have and have, have always had in him. Well, I, I think uh, the first thing we should point out is that. A lot of people didn't realize that he can be as great as he can be. And, that, you know, that's a common thread with a lot of quarterbacks, the great quarterbacks throughout history, you know, from Johnny Unitas to Tom Brady to Aaron Rodgers, uh, Drew Brees. I mean, we, we could list a lot of them that people never really saw greatness in them until the quarterbacks themselves uh, proved without a doubt that they can do things that mortals cannot. And uh, I think a lot of it with – Rogers, um, and, and with a lot of probably all the great quarterbacks, uh, it, uh, are in, they're intangible qualities that you really can't always put a finger on. I mean, 
you know, his feel in the pocket is, is incredible. I mean, he makes his offensive linemen into all pros every year, no matter who they are. And then, you know, his ability to uh, uh, read the defense and, and make the right decision uh, is, is just so high level. It, you know, it's otherworldly. And, and that enables him to uh, use his great accuracy to get the ball to the right place all the time. And, you know, you, you kind of put together every quality that it takes for a great quarterback. And you say, well, he's got this, he's got that. He checks every box. And um, the other thing is he, he's, he's a great competitor uh, with, with a real fire inside him that, you know, uh, he, he takes slights harshly in a good way. You know, it makes him better. It's, I think we all remember an athlete in Chicago who did that quite well. And- you know, it was yeah. under this famous documentary and won six titles. But yeah, go on. <laughs> well, and and I don't think this is the last dance for Aaron Rodgers. I think yeah. uh, <laughs> he, he got a few more dances left in him. And uh, you know, uh, boy, you know, he um, uh, to me, he's 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 one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I don't know if, if people really ever say that or acknowledge that, but how could you not? You know, he's yeah. done things that other quarterbacks in history have not done and he just he's going to win his third MVP I'm almost certain mm-hmm. and uh you know there's there's just uh, I think you guys on on or three three other guys or two other guys have done that in history and uh you know if he gets another Super Bowl ring that would really be kind of a crowning achievement I think for him well there's gonna be a lot of teams Dan looking for their version of the uh, of Aaron Rodgers after the season. The Bears are, are still one of those teams. And I want to leave you with, with this question. There are seven teams looking for GMs this year. Is that, like, that seems like a crazy high number of teams that are looking for, let's call it new direction, a new football boss. I mean, is, is that not, and what do you think of that this year? Yeah, it is a big number, Adam, an unusual number. And uh, it's surprising a little bit because I think uh, normally uh, you see uh, teams look at the head coach first and keep the GM. Uh, I think the other thing, reason it's surprising, it's because we're in this strange year, this pandemic year, where you think that maybe teams would want to, say, take a mulligan or you know, let's wait, let's, let's wait till we are able to do this in a, in a normal way when we make a big sweeping organizational change. Uh, But I think, you know, you've got a lot of teams out there that just are saying uh, we need to change direction or, you know, times are changing and we need to change with them. I think, uh, you know, in some cases we're seeing different types of general manager candidates emerge. Um, You know, uh, Champ Kelly is an interesting one who's, uh, with the Bears, of course, and he's being uh, – he, the Broncos have asked to interview him. I believe the Panthers have asked to interview him. And, um, you know, he's he's a little bit different because of his background. And, you know, he's a guy who's uh, came to the league with as a computer guy, and he's got a background in coaching. And, you know, he can do things that the typical guy who's been a road scout all his life probably can't do. That's not saying that, that – the road scout guy isn't a good candidate either because I know a lot of those guys who, who are outstanding candidates and uh, probably could be great GMs. But uh, the point is, I think uh, teams are looking at general managers now, uh, you know, as leaders of uh, billion dollar companies, as opposed to a guy who's just going in there to go 
you know, find, find me a left guard. It, it's the times have changed. And I think that's why we're seeing all this upheaval in organizations. All right, Dan, last thing for you. Do the Bears have any chance against the Saints this weekend? I mean, I can't say they have no chance, but I think their chances are <laughs> low. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think the Saints are a really good team. I think they're going to come at them with the best defense they've seen in a while. And, uh, you know, uh, if Michael Thomas plays, they've got a, a player out there who, you know, you could have Michael Thomas playing and you could have – two backups at, at cornerback for the Bears. Again, we don't know what's going to happen. Again, of course, with the health of uh, Jalen Johnson and Buster Screen. Uh, so, you know, that would be a, a real problem, as it was last week. And, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara killed the Bears last time. And uh, we're going to have to find a way to uh, contain him, maybe without Roquan Smith, who, who had a big game last time against the Saints. So, you know, I think, I think this game uh, – Stacks up pretty well for the New Orleans Saints. It's probably the best defense the Bears have faced since the last time they played the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints defense is way better now than it was in the middle of the season. So that's where it just doesn't seem like a great matchup. But, hey, Dan, we always appreciate your time and love talking football with you. So thanks again for jumping on with us. Okay, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Dan. Okay, it's Tuesday, and you know what that means. Kevin... Fishbane's on the podcast at K Fishbane on Twitter. And I was told Kevin earlier that uh, you like you need to come at me for something. How could I come at you when you're wearing a Northwestern sweatshirt? Well, that's why I put this on. Don't I, back down now, Kevin. I'll, 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 I'll read what bit. you texted me about his Supported tweet. the Citrus Bowl champion cats. Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about this tweet that really riled up the, the Bears beat. What see? I need to let's get into it. I don't even know what happened. What did I do? Uh, well, uh, that I, I mean, that's a question I can't answer. Um, where is the tweet? Let me pull it up. Okay. I should have had this ready. Yeah. I'll give you guys a fun fact as I pull this up. You guys want a fun fact? Go ahead. I guess. I mean, you're going to give it to us anyway. Do you guys know that <laughs> Kyle Fuller has gone six games without a pass defensed? It's the longest drought since his rookie season. They are avoiding him a little bit. Yeah. They, are, they are definitely avoiding him. I just yeah. thought it was it was yeah. interesting. Um, okay. Uh, Adam Hogue tweeted, last week, 70 offensive plays, one bad play call that everyone talked about for days. This week, six fourth down plays, one that didn't work. The other team gets paid too. You know why we kept talking about that one play that didn't work? Because the head coach was upset about it. He was pissed off that it didn't work, and he thinks it cost them the game. So I think it's it's very uh, legitimate to spend as much time as uh, has been done talking about it because Matt Nagy set the tone. He dictated the uh, the narrative that that was a, a major Mistake. Now, look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say if they converted that fourth and one, they were even going to score a touchdown. And we all know even if they did, Aaron Rodgers would probably throw five more touchdown passes and still win the game. But I think it's it's perfectly okay to uh, to dive in and dissect what went wrong on the play when, when Matt Nagy himself seems to be very uh, perturbed by, uh, by that mistake. All right. 
I see what's happening here. And it's cool. I get it. So don't let them bully you, Adam. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is this is where I hate Twitter, okay? So what happened here is in my mind the what what my tweet was really referring to was just how they it, it has specifically to do with the criticism of the play call. And that's what I'm defending, okay? These were big plays. I wasn't saying that you shouldn't talk about them. This is where things get lost in translation on Twitter, and it's stupid. So I can now see how if, first of all, this was meant mainly at people coming in my mentions nonstop about it, not other media members. But I can see how if you are a media member, now I understand why Dan Weiner responded the way he did, which I didn't really understand at all in the moment. So if you're if you happen to be a Bears media member or whatever who read that tweet and have been talking about it or writing about it and breaking it down, I can see how you thought I was like subtweeting you specifically, and you would come at me like Kevin just did when that was not at all the case. These were big plays. That fourth and one was a huge play. Totally worth discussing. I've been discussing it. I broke it down in my 10 things. My problem, I guess, and this is maybe we can switch the conversation here a little bit. I just, it seems like whenever... A play doesn't work. All of a sudden, it's Matt Nagy's fault. But all the plays that work are you give the. It's <laughs> yeah. like Bill Lazor called the good plays. Matt Nagy called. Like I really did get annoyed last week when it's we're like on the Thursday of a Packer week, and they're still talking about that tight end sweep. You know, and I'm not, when I say they, it's I don't know. It's, I think that's Clancy Barone's fault. As, as, we, as, we, yeah. as we later learn. You know what I mean? Like, they had yeah. 70 plays in the game, and one of them was a bad call. Yeah. There was a lot of other good play calls in that game. I said this to John Z last week. This goes in the same category. Uh, everyone says, when you talk about Mr. Trubisky's success, everyone says, well, look at the defenses he played. But then when you talk about the way the offensive line's playing, everyone wants contract extensions for Alex Bars and Sam Mustafer. Yeah. And I'm not taking anything away from those two. They've played. They've been great. I just think that, like we, you know, not we, but there is a sentiment about Matt Nagy, sentiment about Mitch Trubisky, um, other members of the Bears organization that it's it's all. There's nothing that they can do right. So from that perspective, Hoke, I do I do understand uh, um, where you're coming from. But yeah, I think. Look, I I thought it was a I thought it was a dumb play call. I I and I. I I am steadfast that I never like designed rollouts where there's one option, even though I know that we've seen that play before and Allen Robinson might win that route nine times out of 10. And we've seen that work. And, I, you know, again, I don't know what Jimmy Graham was supposed to do, whatever. But, but you know, there is this also goes back to the problem where we still don't know really what Matt Nagy's role is in the play calling. Right. Yeah. Like, we just don't know. You know, there was that NFL Network report. Did you guys see that on Sunday morning? Yeah, I saw it. was. It, it was. You yeah, can't well, give a. I'm sorry, just like, you can't say something like that unless you're going to provide some more context than that. It was very, it was a very weird report, if we're being honest. It was just said that, well, it was just that Nagy had his, had more of a. Has had his. Been more involved. I would argue that he's always been involved. <laughs> he has been. That's why I didn't really understand the report. And the problem is, you know, Nagy for whatever reason is has been very coy when when being asked about it. Um, and Bill Lazor clearly wants nothing to do with the the conversation topic. Uh, so we we just don't know 
like how that works. But you're right, Hoke. I mean, there there's a segment of the population that will always, you know, I, I mean, I, I saw it in the comments of my story that people were blaming Matt Necky for like all these plays. And when we're under, for what we know, he's not calling the plays. Look, I just try not to be hypocritical as much as possible. And sometimes it's, you know, that happens. But if I'm going to be sitting here on this podcast all season talking about how they need to roll out Mitch and make the reads easier for him because he can't deal with complicated reads, then I can't then criticize a play call where they tried to simplify it for him. You know what I mean? Like, I, I get what you're saying. I don't disagree with you that, like, ideally you a rollout with one read's not great. But this is what you have at quarterback, okay? And it was a favorable matchup for your number one wide receiver against an okay-to-average slot corner, he should win that matchup. That should not have... like It's it's a pretty simple play call in a big situation. I understand that. It was also the fifth time they were going for it on fourth down. And for everyone saying to just hand the ball off, they had been stuffed on third and short four times in the game. Not to mention every time they've been stuffed on third and fourth and short since Nagy got here. Yeah. That and twice on that drive, twice on that drive, they had been stuffed on third and short. That's why they were in so many fourth and ones to begin with. All I'm saying is like, it's easy to be like, oh, that's a bad play. Let's kill that one play when you can't do that without the entire context of what had happened throughout the game, what had happened on that drive, which, oh, by the way, included a fourth and one shotgun rollout pass that was converted for a first down. So... That must have been a Bill Lazor call. Bill this this is one. some good podcasting. This is great, guys. This is good. <laughs> I just, I don't know. You show me a game where an offense coordinator uh, didn't have a single bad play call. It w- I, I'd love to see it. Uh, I'll, I'll show just, me that game. Like, to hit, they went five for six on, on fourth downs. In most cases, that's something to be, like, celebrated, but... I get that a lot of advanced stats say go for it in certain fourth down situations, but you're still playing with fire to a certain degree. You're not like – it just felt like that conversion success rate was going to change at some point, and the the Packers read it. The kid, the, the kid played Allen Robinson great. You know, you got to give him credit for that. You know, he's not even a household name like that. That, that was a heck of a play by him. So I, I get what your point uh, about, you know, the other guy gets paid too, but – it's the Bears, man. They lost to the Packers. Everything's gonna be hyper analyzed. It's or everything. Mitch Trubisky, actually, regardless of opponent, is, is hyper analyzed. But well, it just sometimes it comes down to the players making plays or not making plays, and that's where my point about the players getting paid too on the other side. Like you can't have a hundred percent efficiency on your play calls. Can I, can I raise one point about the Matt Nagy play calling thing? Do you remember the point where the narrative was that Matt Nagy was actually calling good plays, that receivers like Taylor Gabriel were, were getting wide open against the Chargers, against Washington, or no, Denver, and it was a quarterback who was failing to complete those wide open throws, which would have been significant gains, game-changing gains, potential touchdowns. Remember that when, when that was part of the conversation between... 
or about Matt Nagy. Like that, that's completely gone away now because of Trubisky and his struggles and whatnot. And I get the point in simplifying it, but I remember that. I remember when Matt Nagy had good play calls. I remember Matt Nagy drew things up well to, to scheme guys wide open, to scheme those shots, and a certain quarterback missed them. I guess my overall point is like, look, when things were going bad as a whole offense, and it seemed like for a while there that he was just that there was really no plan that he was just trying things and seemingly calling things at random. Like, yes, that's and we did it here on this podcast. We questioned all that, but if you've paid attention in the last five six weeks, whether it's Bill Lazor, Matt Nagy, and by the way, this is breaking news. It's both of them. It's both of them. It's John D. Filippo. It's Dave Ragone. They're doing this as a staff. It's Mitch Trubisky as well. They've tailored this thing, and as a whole, it's been working. And unfortunately, though, there's still going to be bad play calls sometimes. So to just single out a single play in each of these last two games, like it's still proving that the guy doesn't know what he's doing, I just think that's extremely unfair. That's all I'm saying. You guys want to get the listeners even more fired up now? Should we play that Aaron Rodgers audio from the Pat McAfee show? Hey, let's talk about an actual bad play call. (laughs) A defensive call. Hey, oh, that, that makes no sense whatsoever. I'm all about that. So, Kevin, this was you texted this to us to us today, which was good. Um, it, some of the best it, content on the internet right now is is uh, Aaron Rodgers going on Pat McAfee's show every single week. Like you want to hear a raw, unfiltered athlete every single week and actually learn some football at the same time. It's it's just really, really good. It's outstanding. So today. Uh, was Tuesday, so Tuesdays we get Kevin Fishbane. Tuesdays Pat McAfee gets Aaron Rodgers. I think Same. we're we're Same the winners. Thing. Yeah, we're the winners in that. Um, but Pat McAfee asked him about the 72-yard touchdown to Marquez Valdez Scantling against the Chicago Bears on the MVS deep post tutter. Okay, um, you remember the play? Yeah, I do. You waited. Okay, and this was in a series of events. You waited until zero on the play clock. Okay, absolute zero. Uh, they seem to be showing a late blitz. When did you decide their blitz was coming? And when did you make the decision that MVS was the huck you were definitely going to? Because it seemed like you used literally the entire play clock, and it wasn't until the last second you're like, ah, got it, bang, touchdown happened immediately after. How does that all happen in your brain? And why do you get so close to delay of games so often, I think a lot of people would want to know. <laughs> well, the play, I think the reason for the uh, the timing on the play was Robert Quinn was having a conversation with Trevathan during that play. And they couldn't decide what side he was supposed to be on. So I could tell that there was something that was a little messed up on defense. Now, the play actually called for Aaron Jones to motion back into the backfield, Devontae to widen back out, and then we had a concept, three-man concept on the right, and kind of a two-man concept um, with Devontae kind of backside by himself uh, to the backside. Um, But I could tell, I I really wanted them to maybe declare what they were doing because I knew there was some sort of pressure coming, and I was just trying to get the protection right. And after I could tell that this was kind of coming down to it, I decided to leave Jonesy out there, so I kind of gave him a, a left-hand stay and just tried to kind of quick snap it on him because it looked like that nobody uh, had – that there was confusion on who had three vertical to the other side. And three vertical for us was Marquez Valdez-Scanlon, who's 
one of the faster players in the league. Um, and at the snap, I could tell that he was going to have a backer kind of drifting out to him. I knew that there was some sort of pressure coming from the backside because uh, why would they be kind of running out to two and three on the front side if there wasn't anything on the backside? So I just tried to beat uh, the defender blitzing <laughs> with a throw, and MBS did a really nice job of just running straight and then you know catching the ball uh, above his above his eyes there, and yeah, that was that was a good. Uh, play for us oh man football has to be so much fun for you right it just has to be so much fun oh those two are talking to each other oh what's going oh you guys oh one of them are f***ing up right now yeah it's such a blast right yeah it makes it look so easy doesn't he it's a blasty blast um well kevin you want to bring this up what what did you love about that audio before i go to the play itself you know, Aaron Rodgers did not address the part where McAfee mentioned the delay games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe it got mentioned earlier, later in the show. Both of you tweeted about that on Sunday. Here's my thing with this: we all know how this works, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, re- the referee's got to see double zero, and then turn to the ball. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a stupid, stupid. It seems like an archaic way to call delay a game. Don't get me wrong, but like. There's got to, there, there, usually you have to still have the ball in the center's hand for a full second after that clock hits zero to get the flag. So I, I, I don't, that's, that doesn't rile me up as much. The, 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 I even went back and watched that the fourth down from the 2013 game. I watched that with Kyle Long, and we were both like, what? The, the, whole, the, the fourth and one to John Kuhn, it really probably wasn't a delay game based on the mechanism of calling it. All right, I said my no, piece. no, no. I, no, I just wanted four thousand likes on that tweet. I'm That's not fair. Lie. Yeah. I'm glad you got it. But yeah. I, I, enough. Everyone's got to understand. You got to wait a, a tick after that. Thing I, I thought the second one that I tweeted about was more like I thought that second was in there or half a second was in there. Here's the thing, though. This is something that could be fixed so easily. A hundred percent. Like you know how the ref gets buzzed from upstairs when there's a replay, like. You can have that thing buzz, yeah. whether it's automatic, like the clock hits zero and the referee's whatever is a pager. Like, is, is it really a play clock if there's like an extra secret second built in? Yeah, like, that's what yeah. I mean. Like, it, it, the clock's either at zero or it's not. It, and it just seems like something that could easily be. Now, Rodgers is exceptional at using that second. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. He, he makes you pay more than others. Then, like... How often do you see other teams like Trubisky all the time? It's usually like three or four seconds left on the clock when that ball is snapped. But I think you've also seen some quick whistles too come out when that that ball is snapped. But it is what it is. And then there's the play. And then there's the, the play. play. Yeah. Uh, how? I mean, we'll, we'll talk to Shapagato on Thursday, and I'm sure he's going to blame him. He'll blame himself. No, he's on to the Saints. On to the Saints. He's on to the Saints. He'll blame himself for the call, and like I don't know how detailed he'll be, or or, or if it's even if it's even worth it for him to be detailed about it. And Dan Trevathan didn't want to get into it very much. But, like, in no scenario does it ever make sense for Dan Trevathan to be stuck on that receiver with no help. So, like, either he wasn't supposed to do that or that was a, a bad call to ask him to do that, especially when he's showing blitz before he goes to do that. It just, like, that whole element of it made no sense. And it's just a reminder of how good Rodgers is that he sees that. It almost sounds elementary in some ways when he explains it. He's like, yeah, I, I saw 59 was covering, like, one of the fastest guys in the league. What, what do you think I was going to do? Which makes you think, like, what like what are the Bears doing? Like, how does that how does that happen? Like, even if Roquan Smith is healthy, like, and that's his guy, that's still a bad matchup. Like, 
for Brian Urlacher, that's a tough matchup. Yeah, I, I honestly, if Brian Urlacher was showing blitz there in that exact same spot, he couldn't run with Marquez Valdez Scantling in that. Like it's, you're putting him at a disadvantage right away. The only way that they could have defended that is if there was a vertical route from any of those three wide receivers that Eddie Jackson just took that guy automatically. And then you, then maybe the underneath receiver still open, but at least it's not a touchdown, right? Like that should have been when you hear Aaron Rodgers talk about that play, and he's like, "Yeah, I know I got a backside blitz coming because otherwise, why would they be playing the front side the way they were playing it?" He doesn't care. He doesn't even have a hot read. He doesn't need a hot read because he knows that one of those three receivers. When you have three receivers to the right and they're covered by a corner, a safety, and a linebacker. One of those guys is going to be on the linebacker, yeah. and it just so happens to be the three vertical that he brought up. In, you counting inside out, one, two, three. The inside, the, so he's the most inside receiver, and he runs a vertical route. That's an easy touchdown, it, especially against Aaron Rodgers. Mitch could have figured that out. Yeah, to to, to to me, it speaks to to what the Bears have become, right? Like you need to send Duke Shelley on maybe his first blitz of his career <laughs> at Aaron Rodgers because you you cannot cons- you're not getting consistent pass rush from your front four. Like, you need that front four to consistently get a, get after quarterbacks, and that just hasn't been the case. Wasn't the case against the Packers in the in the, the first meeting. Wasn't the case against the Packers on Sunday. It's just is what it is right now for the Bears' defense if this pass rush is going to be like that. Yeah, John Z, I had the, I had the same thought. That was, that was so indicative of where – their defense has fallen, that Chuck Pagano felt the need to make that call. And he also obviously believed that that was going to work. He trusted his guys to get there. And it just, you know, it's Rodgers. And what, it, like, what, when you play Drew Brees on Sunday, he, he's going to kill you too if it's you try to blitz thing. him. And, and, and this is why you paid Robert Quinn and you paid Cleo Mack and you paid Akeem Hicks because that is supposed to be the, like the best front in football in terms of gain after the passer without needing to blitz. Like that's why those guys are there. That's why you put the resources into that that group. I mean you talk about I mean I'm sure you guys have talked about this on Sunday night, this whole idea of where the Bears are at in the Packers rivalry. And it's almost like you built that defensive line to to beat your rival, right? The the Jets did this in the late, you know, the late aughts the way they built their defense to beat the Patriots. And they were able to a couple times. You think about Darrell Rivas and Cromartie, and you think about what their what their defense looked like up there with Rex Ryan. And and that was built to beat Tom Brady. It worked once or twice. Like you, you would think that this was built in a way, you thinking to yourself, this is how you beat Aaron Rodgers with Cleo Mack, Robert Quinn, Akeem Hicks, and Bilal Nichols. And, and, and you know, and I think I think Nichols has been outstanding this year. I think Akeem Hicks has been really good too. I don't want to take anything away from those guys, but the fact of the matter is, you're asking them, and maybe it's too much to ask them against the best who's, who's ever done it. But there's a reason you, you, you that that was the game you need those guys to play the way they're capable of. When I think didn't. of front fours getting after like special quarterbacks, I think about the Giants in the Super Bowl getting after Tom Brady, right? Like having your front four just own an offensive line and win you the football game. And it allows you to do so much on that back end. You can disguise things better if you could just – it goes back to Lovey Smith philosophies, being able to consistently rely on the front four. And I know with Fangio the thing was, like he was always sending four, but you never knew which four. And it's, yeah, it, it's a problem right now for the Bears defense. Without it, 
they, they are susceptible to a lot of big plays um, because they need to generate pass rush. And just like when you bring up that earlier, Kevin, that Kyle Fuller hasn't had a pass deflection in six weeks. Yes, they're avoiding him, but that's still come on. That's that's scheme your guy to the ball somehow. You know, like you get get better mat. You know, create the matchups where they have to attack him. Eddie, I, the Eddie Jackson thing is just. I I don't know. You just look at the front four. You got Khalil Mack, Bilal Nichols. To me, is playing. Uh, he's grading out to me as a long-term starter type player. Akeem Hicks is still Akeem Hicks. So there's three of the four guys. I mean, no no team in the NFL has that. That much talent. Even with Robert Quinn underachieving, with that front, and you have a former All-Pro in the backs and in Eddie Jackson, you've already paid. Kyle Fuller, for for they have a combined one interception this year. One. You talk about the money paid to the front line. A lot of money paid to that secondary as well. Between the sacks, the pressures, and the interceptions, those are key numbers, right? And the coaches will tell you it's not always about the numbers. At a certain point after week 17, when you have the lack of numbers that the Bears have with that much money invested in those spots, it's a huge failure. It's a it's an astronomical failure. There's a, there's a lot of uh, going through some of the defensive stats this year. There's a lot of comparisons to 2016. They went three and thirteen that year, right? Was now, that when they set the record for least takeaways? Yeah, which they then tied the next year. I think they they set oh, it in 2015, 2016, and 2017. But the 2017 defense actually graded out okay. Um, you know, remember Kyle Fuller was incredible in 2017. It came out and kind of essentially came out of nowhere. But I just looked this up. So 20 plus pass plays allowed. This year's team was 50, and that's the most by by 10 plus since 2016 when they also gave up 50. It's a lot of explosive pass plays. Oh, yeah. Where, where oh you mentioned it for a second. Where where, where are you guys at on at this Eddie Jackson thing? Because in my mentions, there are folks that want him gone, and I understand there's that's that's a from uh, emotional upset Bears fans. My thing on him is that you don't lose the instincts that he has, uh, and I feel like the coaching staff messages. Well, he had a couple pick sixes taken off the board. He's dropped a couple, so he's in the right spot more often than not. But I wonder, you know, where, where to use him at Nagy. Where are we at? With with his his I, play, I mean, it's obviously not good enough. I think the takeaways and the tackles, specifically the missed tackles, are almost two different conversations. They're like so. Sometimes you see the the opposing offenses stay away from from him. You do see him drop his opportunities. So like the opportunities are there sometimes, and he's missing them. I think it's the missed tackles that brings out that emotional reaction, and it should. Like you need, he's your safety. Last line of defense in most cases on most plays. It's got to be better. Got to be more. And that was a knock on him coming out of Alabama was his tackling. And he's worked hard to improve it. And sometimes you see some of those violent tackles that he's able to make. But I think the missed tackles are what brings out the the real emotional element of, of that. But, no, I would not. No. Ball hawking safeties are, are hard to find. 
you hold on to Eddie Jackson, even though the interceptions aren't there. Yeah, I'm still not convinced he's in the right place enough. You know, like last year, this was all blamed on ha-ha Clinton Dix, and like that was supposed to be fixed this year with Gibson, and Jackson was going to be able to play center field more. And he has more than last year, but I, I, I mean, at what point is it just Pagano's defense? Like, I think this goes back to scheming the pass rushers open. Um, you know, I it, I think it's both. I think it's all of the above. I mean, he, Eddie Jackson's dropped too many interceptions this year. He has missed way too many tackles. I think there are moments, like, which touchdown was it the other day where, was it that Daphne guy that I'd never heard of? <laughs> yeah, 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 over and Josh Woods. Josh Woods was supposed to be farther back. It looked like that's what Eddie Jackson said. Like, hey, you're supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to drop more. It's like, this guy hasn't played at all this season. And I think uh, J- Daryl Johnson on the broadcast pointed out, like, help him. Who is Eddie, who is Eddie Jackson guarding, though? Like, he could have helped out. Yeah, yeah. He could have come across. Like, and that's where I think, like, maybe that wasn't his responsibility on the play, but I think experienced really good all-pro safeties there might have figured that out. Like, hey, we don't have Roquan Smith on the field right now in front of me. I might have to shade over here. I might have to help if someone comes across the formation like that. And he just... Or a coach tells you to be aware of it. Your coordinator tells you to... I, I don't I don't think it's time to get rid of Eddie Jackson. I think that's kind of... Well, first of all, you can't. You just locked him up. I think you got to find a way as a coach and a coordinator to get him maybe in a better spot. So, all right. Anything else, Kev? Do you have a good time in Orlando? Orlando was uh, was solid. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to do in a pandemic, um, but the weather was nice. And what's your bowl record now? Are you are you four and zero as a sideline reporter? Three and zero? Yes, I am four and zero as a Northwestern sideline reporter. If we're going back to other bowl games I've covered. That's a, that you know that's my second Citrus Bowl victory. Uh, I'm 0 and 4 uh, attending bowl games as a Northwestern fan. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I was going to bring this up to you because I covered the 2007. It was then called the Capital One Bowl between Wisconsin and Arkansas. Arkansas had the running back tandem of Matt Jones, Darren McFadden, and oh, Felix, Felix Jones. Jones. Was yes. Matt Jones the quarterback? Uh, Mitch Mustaine. Oh, wow. Who ended White up on Sox. the White Sox yeah. at one point uh, was the quarterback for Arkansas. Houston Nutt was the head coach, if you remember him. Do you know who Wisconsin's defensive coordinator was in that game? Uh, Mike Hankwitz. Mike Hankwitz. It was one of his 400 victories. As an assistant coach, and of course he got number four hundred on Friday in the Citrus Bowl with North. Did you tell him that? Uh, we did. We talked about it the day before the game. Good. It, it, you know what's funny? Wisconsin went twelve and one that season, and they had a great year. I think that was a school record for victories at the time. And I brought the I brought the Capital One Bowl up to him. We were just kind of talking on the side. You know where his brain immediately went to the one loss at Michigan. He was still angry. He's like, we lost that one game at Michigan. By the That's way, did you guys notice that uh, CBS Sports on Sunday morning for the third time in the last, I think, eight weeks had a report about uh, Pat Fitzgerald and uh, head coaching interviews? You hate that yeah. report. 
I know. I just. I. I thought it was. <laughs> no, you hate it. Third, it's like the third. It was the third report we've seen. Like we. We get it. But Schefter also reported it. I know he did. He reported it once. I. But the, and, that, know, and that one report counts more. <laughs> <laughs> Your words, not mine. But uh, sure. Yeah. All right. I look forward to forty more years of Fitz running the Northwestern Wildcats. Forty. All right, fine. Thirty. And then the uh, last ten with the Bears. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, well, you heard us talk about college football for two minutes. So yeah, jo- John's Johnson's left. left. I went to yeah. the bathroom and came back. <laughs> Which you have done multiple times before <laughs> in the history of this podcast. That's true. Uh, all right. Follow us on Twitter at Adam Hogue, at Adam Johns, at K Fishbane. Plenty of great coverage coming up this week on The Athletic, theathletic.com slash Hogan Johns. My coverage at NBCSportsChicago.com. Please rate and review the podcast. Please tell your friends. One more week or more than one week. Probably not. But hey, the Bears are in the playoffs. We'll break it down for you. Kevin, have a good week. If you guys want me to read my story about the 1994 Bears uh, upset win on the next podcast, just let me know. Wani! You know what? I I read that yesterday. I somehow missed it in September, and I read it yesterday. It was accidentally timely. It was. Yeah. Well, that's what I I saw it on my timeline yesterday. I'm like, wait a minute. How did Kevin have this, like, ready to go for, like, this exact moment? That's bizarre and then I clicked on it and I saw it was from September and it was just kind of a coincidence but Johnson's right though you should have Wani on to read the story Mm, to read the story actually you know what you should just play some of the YouTube highlights with John Madden and Pat it's 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 really fun I recommend folks go check the whole game's on YouTube it's fun to see it was the first ever NFL playoff game broadcast on Fox oh well and there's Pat Summerall right yeah yeah there you go Check it out. Then we just need Frank Caliendo doing his impression of Pat Summerall and John Madden. Kevin, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I offended you on Twitter. You didn't offend me as much as you offended others. Apparently. <laughs> Great. Go Cats. Well, I'm not sorry I offended them, but I am sorry I offended you. Talk to you guys on Thursday. See ya. Y'all stay Corona free, all right? And God bless. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.